This is Daniel Figella, head of research at Emerge Artificial Intelligence Research, and you're listening to the AI and Business Podcast. A lot of our work here highlights AI use cases and trends from across industries, from some of the largest enterprises in the world and the largest and most reputable AI vendors in the world. And the superpowers we try to develop in our listeners are the ability to build an AI strategy and also the ability to be able to identify AI opportunities. And this episode really focuses on that latter power. Our guest this week is Marve Univar. She is the Director of AI Platforms and Automation at IBM Research AI. Our focus this week is on the intersection of AI and RPA and how to identify places where efficiencies might be driven. How do we look across our operations, look across our workflows, and spot those junctures where AI might be able to make a real and tangible difference? And also, how is traditional RPA, which is a technology kind of separate from artificial intelligence, beginning to merge with AI? Where are those edges beginning to cross and what kind of new opportunities does that open up? So if you want to have a deeper understanding about the delineation between AI and RPA. And if you want to be able to look at your own workflows or the workflows of your clients and spot those places where efficiencies might be wrought out and we might be able to improve our bottom line by leveraging AI the right way, this should be a fruitful episode for you. So without further ado, this is Marve Univar with IBM here on the AI and Business Podcast. So, Marve, I'm glad to have you here with us on the show, and I know we're diving into the topic of RPA and the intersection with AI. I think given the COVID era, there's a lot of thinking about gaining efficiencies, about finding opportunities for automation. When you're working with big enterprises, and obviously IBM works with many of the largest firms in the world, how do you walk people through finding those pockets where automation could make a difference? What does it look like to spot opportunities and workflows? Yeah, thank you, Dan. This is a very interesting area, especially as you emphasize during this pandemic. Uh, companies realized that some of the workflows could be rethought through given most of their workforce moved to remote working, right? So before we describe this topic further, I'd like to open up the definitions of key concepts here for the audience. So what is a business workflow? It's basically an execution of business processes that contain tasks information and paperwork related to all of these, right? And then they're passed from one person to another to achieve a business goal, whether it could be a loan approval for a bank or it could be a claim submissions for an insurance company. So uh, this usually involves one or more people and uh, how can we best leverage automation in these workflows needs to be thought through in a few dimensions. Uh, so the first one is from overall process and the workflow performance point of view. So in order to analyze the performance in a right manner, first, we need to understand the end goal of a workflow. Again, like if we think through the same mortgage scenario, is the goal to sell more loans or is it to process loans faster? Or it can be a combination of these metrics, but we need to really define the key performance indicator or the goal of these workflows and then start monitoring the performance towards these goals. And one of the very obvious ways to find the pockets of automation is then to find the bottleneck tasks in these workflows that will impact this goal. For instance, if employment verification task in this loan application scenario again is continuously taking a lot of time, then this will impact the goal of processing loans faster negatively, right? So, so this task might be a candidate task for automation. Uh, therefore, the, the task worker is behind to complete this task and can use some help from automation to, to do his items, right? 
so another dimension um, for looking which tasks might be the best candidate for automation is, is the nature of the task itself. Uh, so most of the time, repetitive, boring, or error-prone tasks are, are best suited and, and can best benefit from the automation opportunities. So one way to identify these tasks can be by talking to the task workers, like consultants do, right, in a traditional yeah, way to understand yeah, yeah. Uh, how you learn, how the work is being done, right, like see what the best suited automation application could be. But this may not scale, right? So from an algorithmic perspective, if we would like to identify such tasks by looking at the historical logs of the task durations or other metrics, uh, one could easily use the consistency in task duration time uh, for one metric, for example, to understand. Uh, let me give an example. Again, this loan application, there's a loan officer and he's always like completing the application's address information verification step in 30 seconds, let's say. And this is almost same every time. So this may mean that he's just searching for that applicant's information in one database and then marking the studies as verified in another database, right? Yeah. So such task like might be a perfect example because there is a constant repetition and without any ad hocness, right? That you can teach a software instead of you, right? That can do this on behalf of you. So to sum up, I think we spoke about a few things in this topic, but there are a few key takeaways, I think. Like one is, looking where to automate in the workflows. First, we have to look at the performance of your workflow in the context of your business KPIs and goals, and then determine which tasks are well-suited for automation. And second, look at the error-prone, repetitive or boring tasks for employees, either in a traditional manner by using consultancy services or use the algorithms that I just described as a one example above for scalable implementation. Got it. So kind of there's a couple, it's almost like lenses to look through for finding opportunity. Yes. Yeah. Yes, a few exactly. different ways to find those pockets. And, you know, you mentioned you, you brought up kind of in passing like consultants often do. Do you think that that outsider perspective is often useful for finding those opportunities? Maybe people, there's a little bit of blindness and a taken for grantedness if, if you've been doing it for 10 years. Is that sort of? Of course, of okay. course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is like, I mean, all companies benefit from an external unbiased, you know, set of eyes but as i mentioned like it's useful however like if you have lots of processes that means lots of consultants needs to come and review those processes yeah so i think we tend to also automate that process you know finding those automation opportunities by building such algorithms or trying to analyze historical logs to see if we can automate and instead of a consultant a human coming and looking at your process uh, you should outsource it to the also automation as well Huh. And, and yeah, that, that, uh, well, man, that could be probably a book level, uh, topic <laughs> un, unto itself, algorithms to find AI opportunities. That's, that's wild. But to touch on kind of the human teams that are often involved, when you see a company do this well, you know, find those pockets in a really fruitful way, execute on opportunity finding for automation in a, in a way that really is productive. Who, who's on those teams? Who do they bring together and pool together? I imagine to be done right, there's got to be you know, a mandate and time set aside and, you know, a set of criteria of what success looks like to find those opportunities. What's it look like to get that opportunity team together? I imagine there's maybe outside voices, inside voices. Could you give us a quick snapshot of that? For any type of consultancy engagement, you need the domain expertise, right? So at least you need somebody who understands your domain. If you're in banking space, as I said, when you're doing this loan application, somebody who understands that process inside and out is a super useful you know, asset to have in the team. 
but also in our experience, having people who are, you know, data scientists, right? Like capabilities that can go and study your data. Because still, like we are talking to people, but we're also looking at their log times, right? Like how much it took a person to complete a task versus other person, whether, you know, which teams are working very closely together. Can we like collocate those teams? I know in the pandemic, we're not, but in the sense of, you know, uh, doing getting the work done, can you get those works done in parallel and so on? So I think like the, there, there's one, you know, subject matter expert who knows the domain, who understands the domain and looks for things that, you know, that you can improve. And also if you have the data science uh, perspective who is going to study the basically the data, right? Like to understand uh, where the bottlenecks are, like how can you best optimize the flow and how can you change that flow or at least find these bottlenecks to insert these automation opportunities. Got it. So yeah, have your data scientists, have your, your subject matter experts. Do you see people working full-time on this when opportunity finding is, is really a, a ripe mandate or do you see them kind of you know, carving out a Wednesday to sort of do this on the side of their regular work? Or do they, do they get peeled out of their normal role to go into opportunity finding mode to find these fruitful pockets? Well, if this, I think there are two things here. If this is your own team that you are, you know, doing to work, uh, yeah, it can't be a full time. They have to get their day job going and also look for areas to improve. But if you hire a third party as like consultants who come and do, you should have a dedicated team member working for it, like either some set of time during that project, you know, definition yep. and so on. But the um, idea here is like the whole automation or AI influencing the processes, it all starts with analyzing and trying to find these best parts to automate, right? So this is like the prerequisite to all other aspects of automation in the business processes. So it's the one of the most important steps. So companies need to invest enough resources to find these areas where they know they would get the highest return on their investments. Uh, therefore, like they have to put, if needed, full-time resources to work on this to find the best areas for automation. 100%. I mean, if you're going to spend, you know, millions and millions on a project, you should be able to peel somebody, you know, away from task X and have them really focus and ensure that you're focusing on the right things. Last little final question, because I know this is going to roll right into AI as we talk about the intersection of RPA and AI. This is just as relevant um, for that AI intersection is about ranking and scoring those opportunities. You know, people come out of this project and they've got a whole bunch of pockets where automation might really be able to make a difference to the bottom line and maybe even a difference for the the experience of customers or of, of internal employees. There's so many ways you could rank them, right? But what is the alignment to our current digital transformation vision? What's the bottom line impact estimated in the next two years? What's the, you know, how, how do you, are there any, you know, any best practices around how teams can structure and order those tasks to know what to execute on? Well, what we see very useful, as I mentioned in the very beginning of the podcast is like, so we have to look at in the context of the business goal. Whatever you decide, whatever you try to optimize and rank and prioritize your automation opportunities, try to consider your end goal. As I mentioned, the example of the loan application. So you may want to process more loans. You may want to process like in a you know much faster fashion, but you may want to also have like sell healthy loans, right? Like it's like you can sell hundred more loans, but it doesn't mean like you should, you know, sacrifice from the quality of those loan applications. So you have to define your business goal very clearly at the beginning. And then look all the automation opportunities towards that end goal and see how much it's improving or decreasing your end goal. It's almost think of like, what if analysis, like what if I put the automation here, what's the end goal's impact going to be? And then this is one metric which we 
take grounded for sorting these automation opportunities. And we see that the companies uh, really benefit because like you can automate 100%, but at the end of the day, if you're not selling more loans in a quicker or healthy loans in a quicker manner, that doesn't mean that the automation was successful. Yeah. Uh, so that's very important, I believe, to be able to uh, look at the overall picture with respect to your end goal and see how it impacts your end goal. Yeah, and obviously that takes a lot of thought, right, to actually think through logically what, what will be the impact, but certainly an important step to take the time and do. Again, if we're going to find opportunities and sort opportunities, you're kind of really advocating beginning with the end in mind and just asking how well does this line up to what we wanted to get, actually get done here. Yeah, cool. All right, great. A useful tidbit for the folks that are tuned in, hopefully for people who are looking to take some action. Our next question is really around the state of RPA now and kind of how AI is starting to make its way into RPA. You're working directly at this intersection, you know, with customers and with the tech teams at IBM. I'd love to get your picture on, you know, what RPA can do broadly and where AI is starting to add some more value. Well, let's again, I think maybe define the terms here because there is a lot of, sure. in the industry, there are a lot of terms used interchangeably. So RPAs, I mean, they're very famous, robotic process automation, right? It's a technology that allows you to configure uh, like the softwares or it's like a robot, right? Like to emulate and mimic the actions of human interacting with uh, digital systems like copying, pasting from a database or updating records, etc. So it's a big market, it's a multi-billion dollar industry, and it's great for certain things like doing screen scraping and repeating the same steps over and over again. And traditionally, I believe RPAs like, are really good at something, as I said, like they're born to because they want to give flexibility to the task workers to record their own automation patterns very easily, just like recording an Excel macro, right? Like with minimal coding, without doing too much coding. They execute this recorded automation to do some steps of tasks on behalf of the employee, right? So, and this is a great automation tool in discrete environments where you know you will never get out of the repeating the same steps or there won't be any uncertainty. So, as I said, like, it's great doing certain things, but I would see RPAs as implemented in the market today. They are more of like a robot that memorize the steps that a human would take and continue to repeat them. And unfortunately, I'm not too keen on using the learning term that is used in RPA world today because RPAs are pre-recorded. They're rigid automations that memorizes, but not really learns in the sense of AI learning. Yeah. And we use the term learning in AI as inferring knowledge from the past data uh, to be able to make predictions for the unseen events, right? Like, and of course, AI is not magic. If it doesn't see any patterns in the past, it will basically making random predictions. But learning means you have to have some intelligence to infer relationships and dependencies and patterns, etc., like from attributes of an event, not really memorizing the discrete steps to execute something. So, so the current implementation of RPAs, unfortunately, doesn't uh, utilize AI to the fullest. And I see a lot of opportunities there. Got it. Yeah. Like you said, rigid was a word you use kind of if thens is something that I hear people kind of mention, oh, Yeah. you know, just being able to structure a bunch of if then statements. Of course, there's huge swaths of work where you can do that. There's other swaths of work where you can't. I'd love to put maybe some tangible examples around this. When you think about that small layer of where AI can bring us around the bend and actually make something handleable by an RPA system that, uh, you know, traditionally, just by hard coding alone, it would not be able to get done. Do you have a couple that you, you can kind of identify that would help us visualize this? 
Sure. Well, actually, like, let me first maybe define, uh, like, there is, like, this is RPS today, but there is yes, also, yes. like, like there is a notion known as in the literature as RPA 2.0. It's a new approach where we think AI can actually help more than, like, the interfaces or more than the management aspect of it. So um, this RPA 2.0 is um, basically looking or seeking to eliminate hum human-dependent training or if you feel, if you will, that memorization analogy that I just gave, it relies on basically adopting like reinforcement learning algorithms on the rewards to RPAs and train them to achieve better performance, as I said, with minimum human dependent training. And AI enabled RPAs needs to really achieve more complex automation by using AI to minimize this human dependent training and, and automating more complex tasks that will result in uh, decision makings, right? Uh, and the vision here really builds on the traditional RPA technologies. If we want to go a step further to automate complex tasks, which will require this, you know, insight derivation, analysis or composition, coordination, collaboration of these multiple RPA solutions. And I want to open up the collaboration aspect because like there's all these RPAs or bots all around. How do you make best use of these bots, right? Uh, and one common practice for creating RPAs is to create bots that perform as small steps as possible in a workflow. Therefore, you can you reuse them in the future, right? By combining with other bots or in some domain, use it in a different context, etc. Like one example could be if there's a bot that updates a customer information for a, let's say, finance department in a retailer, you could make a bot that does the customer demographics update part alone without the bank account, et cetera, information, which then you can use the same bot in updating the customer's profile in a, let's say, procurement application, right? So the idea here is to create as much reusable bots as possible. But then after a while, you have a lot of these bots, right? Like where either someone manually needs to remember to reuse them or somebody needs to write those if-then rules to combine them, right? Or somebody needs to write a script to find and combine, you know, make a combination of these bots. So this is where I think AI can help to carry RPAs to next level the most. How can you build a framework that can find automatically necessary bots or automation units, whatever you want to call these, to coordinate and perform the end goal in a flexible and automated way without really human touch. So you can learn from previous interactions, right? Like, or the successes of combining different bots and make better combinations through these learnings leveraging AI. And again, another example here could be like, if we use the same example of this customer information update, if one bot only updates the customer demographic information and another bot informs customer about this change, you can look at the, the past patterns to see that these bots almost always used consequently and the end goal was always achieved successfully. So in the future, if a similar end goal is defined by the user, you can connect these two bots automatically and be at some confident level that they would work great together by leveraging AI, right? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm starting to see the vision, although I am going to ask to get a, an example here so I can paint it a little bit better in my mind and in the mind of the, the listeners. This clearly feels like kind of the zeitgeist we'd like to move into as opposed to yeah. where we are. Yeah, this idea of kind of modular intelligent bots that can start to, you know, cluster and work on problems and then humans can figure out which ones cluster frequently and, and kind of can, can be combined in powerful ways. That, that's a, certainly a unique vision, not one I've heard before. Also one that, you know, clearly we're a little bit far from today, but somebody's got to think of the future. And certainly IBM does a good deal of that. When you think about where AI, maybe this idea of modular you're talking about, or this idea of RPA 2.0 or kind of 
leveling up that intelligence. You talked about mortgages early on. We can stick there if you want, but you can go to another example. Where's a place where maybe task X wouldn't really be possible with hard coding, but would be possible with kind of this next level of, of intelligence layered on top of RPA? Is there are there any tangibles we can talk about? Well, sure. I wanted to give two examples, and I think two, they are both relevant, in, especially in this pandemic era. Uh, so one of them is we can stick to the mortgage, but like the primary one I wanted to use was a traveler pre-approval process, because I believe every single company has uh, the days when we used to travel for work yes. has a, a travel approval policy, right? Like that you obtain approval from your management with a business justification and an estimated cost of travel. And the other use case can be, again, this loan application process where a customer submits a loan application and a loan officer processes this request to determine whether to approve or reject it, right? Um, so the traditional RPAs can help, uh, for example, in the loan officer case to automate certain parts of the process, right? Like you can query, analyze process data, et cetera. And the, both use cases are interesting because like uh, part of these processes or maybe all the process, entire process may need to suddenly become agile overnight in response to a pandemic. For example, loan officer may need to remotely approve a loan or in travel use case, processes may not to be readjusted to address this, you know, company policy changes that like, especially at the beginning of this pandemic, like we couldn't travel to Italy, we couldn't travel to China. So like creating intelligent RPAs more automatically with the capabilities I mentioned earlier, such as like composing, coordinating or collaborating these different bots and basically like creating this chain of bots in an automatic way by leveraging AI. Now the employers uh, will be able to adopt of these sudden changes much more flexible, accurately and quickly. And uh, you won't need to, you know, write another yet, you know, if then statement, but this framework would compose this flow for you. And therefore the employee doesn't even need to do anything. The, the bots that are needed to do this remote versus, you know, or adopting this new company policy automatically, not, you know, in a hard-coded way. All right. So, yeah, as a final question, I, I thought what we'd sort of think about is for the folks that are listening in, we've got a lot of enterprise leadership and, and they want to likely get started with RPA in the right way. You've probably seen some folks begin their journey in RPA really on, on a strong footing and a place where they're likely to get value out of it. And others that have maybe kind of missed the ball here. When you think about the advice you'd give for enterprise leadership considering RPA today, you know, we're heading into 2021. At the time of this recording, this is going to be published in 2021. What do you have for them? What, what are some good takeaways? Sure. Yeah. Well, I think uh, there are key components for having a successful RPA experience. Uh, one is basically, of course, the first portion of the, our conversation is like you have to identify the opportunities for automation to add RPAs in the right place in your process to maximize maximize your return on your investment. But it's also ex extremely important to leverage AI for better creation, coordination and collaboration of these RPAs. In this like uh, RPA 2.0, there is this new notion of uh, natural language uh, interactions, and we can totally leverage natural language interactions to reduce learning curve for users to speed up the scalability and adoption. However, we need to realize that the real power of AI is not only in the interaction piece, but more so in how you create these bots, how you manage, and how you make the use of these bots through, through this coordination and collaboration of them. So try to think of the scalability and insert uh, methodologies and uh, create agendas to be able to scale your RPA implementation. Nice. Yeah. So think of scale from the get-go as opposed to just where can you do a plug-and-play game. 
um, exactly. in a one-off sense. Excellent. I think the same the same goes for AI, uh, and I'm sure the same will go for AI-enabled RPA. So I sincerely appreciate you being able to share your insights. I know that's all we had for time, but thanks so much for being able to join us. It was my pleasure, Dan. Thank you so much. So that's all for this episode of the AI and Business Podcast. Thank you to Marve for joining us and a big thank you to you for tuning in all the way through to the end of this episode. We do our best to bring you director level, head of level, VP level folks at important companies who really have hands-on experience with AI so that we can translate those insights into things that you are thousands of listeners around the world can actually apply in your own business and your own practice. And the main motivating force that keeps us going and helps us to refine our editorial calendar is feedback from listeners like you. If you've benefited from what you've learned here on the show and you appreciate what we do here and you'd like to support the show, then consider leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or iTunes. You can simply search for AI in Business on Apple Podcasts or any of the other SoundCloud or Spotify audio platforms that you like to use and drop us a five-star review. Let us know any particular episodes that have jumped out to you and anything in particular that you'd like to maybe learn more of in the months ahead. We're always booking great interviews. We're getting pitched constantly, and of course, most of the time we have to say no, but we're also reaching out to the highest level AI experts at the largest companies in the world with interesting topics, often inspired by reviews and comments from our listeners. So you really are our driving force. And again, if you'd like to consider supporting the show and have benefited from what we've done here, then consider leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. That's all for this episode. I look forward to catching you in the next one here on the AI and Business Podcast. Thank you.